in uh, in 2018, uh, Pete Davidson. Uh, I know he. I know Pete Davidson has been in the news this week. We're not talking about that. Um, which, by the way, Pete Davidson went to high school here in the neighborhood at Zavarian. Um, but some of you guys know uh, the comedian Pete Davidson. He's uh, been on the cast of Saturday Night Live for the last several years. Well, in 2018, uh, he was on Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. And uh, he made a joke that didn't really go over well. Um, It was a crude, inappropriate, uh, mean-spirited joke uh, about uh, the Republican congressman Dan Crenshaw. And if you know who Dan Crenshaw is, you know that he is a former Navy SEAL uh, who lost his eye uh, in combat. And so he wears an eye patch. And uh, the offensive part of Pete Davidson's joke is that he poked fun at uh, Dan Crenshaw's eye. And uh, of course, making fun of someone's disability is always out of line and always shameful. And so, of course, there was a public backlash against Pete Davidson when this all happened, and people directed all of their vitriol on social media uh, toward the comic. And there was the outrage, there was the public shaming, and all of it took a toll on Pete Davidson, so much so Um, that he spiraled uh, into a deep depression and deeper into drug abuse. And in fact, during, while this was happening, he posted on his social media accounts, uh, I quote directly from him, he said, I really don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm doing my best to stay here for all of you, but I actually don't know how much longer I can last. All I've ever tried to do was help people. Just remember, I told you so. And so what we see is that shame, um, due to a shameful action that he committed, but also the shame that was being heaped on him by the public, it took an ugly toll on Pete Davidson's life. And um, shame, that's a powerful emotion, isn't it? Uh, How many of you have experienced shame? All of us, okay. We've all experienced this. We've all looked in the mirror and thought, how could I have and I can't believe I did. Or we've all been in a situation where uh, insults or or, or things have been hurled at us that made us feel shame. And just like Pete Davidson, shame can lead us to dark places. Um, When we become overwhelmed by our shame, it's difficult to see out of the pit that we're in. And it feels like we're in a pit sometimes when we're overwhelmed by shame. And I'm gonna come back to the story of Pete Davidson later, but I want to just recognize that we all experience shame in our lives. And uh, all of us have the tendency, uh, if, if we're not focused on Christ, for our shame to send us to dark places. And so the question for us is, how do we deal with our shame in a healthy way? How do we deal with our shame in a Christian way? Um, and what hope does Jesus, what hope does Christianity offer to those who are wrestling with shame? And I suspect that there's one or two or more of you that are sitting here today that are neck deep in shame. And I just want you to know that the God who created you loves you, he sees you, he welcomes you, and he wants to lift your shame. And we're going to see that today. And I want us to consider for now the prayer of King David in Psalm 25. And this was written at a time when David was clearly overwhelmed with shame. And instead of me asking you to stand and us reading the scripture together this week, um, the Psalms were meant to be read either, either as prayers or songs. And so I, I just want to pray this Psalm. 
uh, over us today. And so would you bow with me as we pray Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck me out of the net of shame. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hated me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. And may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Amen. David was a man who experienced a great deal of shame throughout his life. Um, David had enemies who often attempted to publicly shame him, uh, even at times when he was innocent. Uh, they would hurl insults and untruths about him publicly to shame him. Um, David is a man who had much wickedness and evil inflicted upon him by evil men. And many of us know that abuse can make us feel shame. Um, the, the shameful actions of someone else can make, uh, make one feel shame when that shame has been inflicted upon us. And David experienced that. But David also experienced a lot of shame due to his own foolishness. Uh, David was, uh, he committed adultery, he committed murder, he, as the king of Israel, he had uh, quite a few questionable political decisions. He had some questionable uh, uh, spiritual decisions in his life, and so here in this passage, David is saying, I've, there's all kinds of shame, uh, and he says, God, let me not be put to shame, and David is expressing, and he's praying his feelings of shame to God, and Last week, we've been in a uh, teaching series called How to Deal with How You Feel, and we've been going through the Psalms and going through various emotions that we all feel, and how do we deal with those, and what do the Psalms teach us about how to deal with these emotions, and I mentioned last week that God created us with emotions and feelings. Feelings are not a bad thing. Um, in fact, I mean, we're not soulless robots, are we? We're human beings. We feel. We were created by God to feel things, and Throughout this series, we've talked about uh, feelings like hurt and anger and loneliness and today's shame. And our natural impulse is to think that all these feelings are always and only bad. 
uh, that they are not redeemable. Um, how you deal with how you feel uh, determines whether your feelings are good or bad. You see, um, there is a way to deal with our feelings that can redeem the feelings that we have. And I think this is true of shame. We have a tendency uh, for many of us to believe that shame is always and only a negative or a bad feeling and, no, and that nothing productive can come from shame. Um, but I believe that shame, like all emotions, is an emotion that leads us to a fork in the road in our lives where we um, have an opportunity to go, okay, I feel this. What am I going to do with this feeling? Um, I can go down this road, um, which can lead me toward God and toward growth and change. I think of the Apostle Peter, the shame he felt when he rejected, re- denied Jesus on the night of his crucifixion. Um, we know that J- Peter felt shame. We see him, he's just kind of fishing, moping around after Jesus' crucifixion. But then the resurrected Jesus shows up on the beach and says, Peter, I forgive you. And that moment, Peter was able to, to surrender his shame to Jesus, who lifted it from him, and showed him grace, and that moment of Peter's shame actually became this catalyzing moment that told the story of God's faithfulness in his life, and, and Peter went on to be a bold, courageous leader in the early church. But then, so shame can lead us toward growth and change and transformation, but shame can also lead us toward self-loathing and destruction. I think of Judas. He denied Jesus. He betrayed Jesus, and when the shame came over him, he didn't seek Jesus for forgiveness, but rather he committed suicide, and he completely um, became overwhelmed by the shame. And I think if you're sitting here today, shame is an opportunity for you to either, it, it, it's an opportunity to either thrust you toward God or an opportunity to, uh, to, to pull you away from God. And I think the Bible gives us many examples of what productive, healthy shame, redeemable shame can look like, and we see this in King David. In Psalm 25, here in this passage, he says, don't let me be put to shame, God. Um, don't, don't allow my shame to consume me and define me. Don't allow my enemies to publicly shame and destroy me. And so we know that David's feeling shame for some reason, but David doesn't stop there. He prays further to God. He says, God, show me how to grow. Show me what to do at this juncture in my life. Teach me your ways. Instruct me on which path I should take. How can I learn from my shame? He says in verse 4, make me to know your ways and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Uh, In verse 6, he says, remember your mercy. He sees his shame as an opportunity to receive God's forgiveness. Remember your steadfast love, for they've been around from old. Remember not the sins of my youth. Verse 8, he says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. David recognizes that the shame he feels is an opportunity not only for him to surrender it to God, but to say, God, I have gone this way. Show me now the new way which I can go. And for David, this feeling of shame brought him to a place to assess his life. And then he prays. He says, God, show me the way. Show me mercy. Instruct me where to go from here. And see, when we are listening to the Spirit of God in our lives... I believe shame can be a feeling that can actually be a pivotal thing that leads us toward God rather than away from Him. And so before we go any further, let me define shame. What is shame? Uh, Shame is a feeling of humiliation or a feeling of distress that is caused by either A, the shameful actions of others inflicted upon us, and I'll address this later, or shame is a feeling of humiliation or stress that is caused by our own foolishness and our own wrongdoing and our own faux pas or bad behavior. 
And in the event that shame is caused by our own foolishness, shame then is a signal for us to say, I have fallen short and now I must receive God's forgiveness and pursue growth and transformation from God. So a couple of weeks ago, I was leaving, I was walking home from church, I was walking down 7th Avenue, and I came across a sign, I think we have a picture of it right here, um, I don't know if you can read that, but the sign says, to the person who stole my flowers, shame on you. <laughs> and I love it, that's so Brooklyn, isn't it, you know, like just, you know, shame on you. Um, now in this case, shame might be able to do a little good, right? Maybe in some world that the, the, the flower thief is walking by and they see, this, uh, they see this, fo- the, this, this cardboard sign and they think to themselves, you know what? That was a terrible thing to do. I really shouldn't have stolen those flowers. That, the person who lives in that house probably worked so hard to grow those flowers and to make their home look beautiful. And I stole this from them. I should be ashamed. I should make amends. I should apologize. And I should stop stealing flowers. In an ideal world, that would be a good course of events, right? In an ideal world, that moment of shame for the thief could actually lead to reconciliation and a commitment to be better and no longer steal. That would be a productive, healthy use of a feeling of shame. Now, in a more serious manner, how many of you have ever done something that surprised even you? Uh, have you done something and you thought, oh, my, I had no idea I was capable of that? Um, and you just thought, God, what have I done? I didn't know I was capable of such a thing. I remember probably the earliest memory of this in my life was when I was a kid, probably eight or nine years old, I had a next door neighbor um, that we used to hang out all the time. I mean, he lived right next door, so we would ride bikes through the neighborhood. We'd play, you know, all, we, 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 in the summers, we would just hang out all the time. We'd play baseball, basketball, roller hockey, try to be the Mighty Ducks, knuckle puck. I mean, like, we were, we were buddies, and uh, we'd be superheroes. We'd do all things, and then um, he was my friend, but then school started that year. And I remember being at school um, in the early days of that school year, and I saw that a group of my friends were teasing him. They were bullying him. And I wanted to be accepted by the group, and uh, I wanted to be accepted by my peers, and so what did I do? I joined in on the teasing. I joined in on the bullying. And I remember as I was doing it, like seeing the, his eyes and just being like, oh my gosh, what am I doing in this moment? And then I remember going home and looking across like the, it felt like an infinite distance from my parents or my parents' house to his house. And I just felt the separation between me and him. And I thought, this shameful action that I've done has hurt him. It's created a, a separation in our relationship, and it revealed to me, oh my God, I'm capable in, in, in a certain situation, with certain circumstances, with certain temptations, I am capable of things I never thought I was capable of, and that was shame. And it led me in that moment, it took a couple days to work up the courage, but it led me to walking across our yards to his house offering probably the first sincerest apology of my life and reconciling the friendship and making a commitment not to tease people anymore. You see, that shame actually was, was a catalyst for my growth. Um, maybe you've had a similar experience, a, an oh my gosh, what have I done moment. Maybe you've committed adultery. 
maybe you've cheated on at work or in school or maybe you've stolen or maybe you've gossiped or you've hurt someone or betrayed someone, that shame you feel is called conviction. And I believe that in the purest way, that is from the Holy Spirit. And it can lead you to repentance, to making amends, to changing your behavior and becoming more Christ-like. You see, shame can lead you in multiple directions. Shame can lead you to repentance and humility and growth and deeper relationships with others. And I believe God is pleased when we surrender our shame, we repent, we turn from those things, and we walk toward Him. God is pleased with those things. Uh, I mean, it's good to feel shame. <laughs> like, what, is, what do we call someone who doesn't feel shame? Shameless. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a good thing. Shamelessness is not a virtue. David even says in verse 3, those uh, who are wantonly treacherous, they should be ashamed, David says. And so shamelessness is not a virtue. A virtue is when we do something shameful, when we feel shame, to surrender it to God, to repent, and to move toward God. And like David, we can use our shame to grow. Shame can lead to conviction from the Holy Spirit, which leads to repentance, which leads to forgiveness, which leads to transformation. Shame can be productive when we surrender our shame to a gracious God because the scriptures say it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. However, for many of us, we know that shame can lead us on a very toxic journey when we don't surrender our shame to God. There is a cycle of shame that many of us have gotten caught in that makes us believe we are worthless, makes us believe we are useless, and makes us believe that we are irredeemable. This is toxic shame. And toxic shame is when we internalize our feeling of shame and make it a core identity marker to who we are. So when we make shame our identity, um, this is what happens. When we face humiliation, instead of thinking, I made a mistake, we think, I am a mistake. Uh, when we realize uh, our inadequacy, uh, we, instead of saying, I need to grow and I need to learn, we say, I am useless. When we realize our limitations, uh, we, experience, we feel shame for that. We feel shame for not being a whole, like, uh, the perfect person. And instead of saying, well, I can't do it all, I need others around me, what we, stay and say, what we say instead is, I'm worthless. I have nothing to offer. See, healthy shame is when we use feelings of shame to direct us toward God and others and toward transformation. Toxic shame, however, is when we allow our shame to become the final word over our lives. And the most toxic sort of, sort of shame is when our feelings of shame are the result of someone else's shameful actions inflicted upon us. I think of all of those people, many of you, who grow up feeling shame because, of one, of, because one of your parents, perhaps, or someone in your life that was supposed to be a safe person um, was angry or mean or neglectful or abusive, and you carry the shame, and, you have, and there's a temptation for you to say, this person didn't want me, therefore I am unwantable. Or this person didn't love me, therefore I am unlovable. And that's a, that, that is a sad cycle to be in, and, many, and we're all tempted to go there. But in reality, your feelings are the result of not a shameful action you've done, but a shameful action from your parents or from someone else. And this is what the devil does. He will take your shame, and if it is the result of your own foolishness and your own ignorance, he will say, that is who you are. 
This is who you are. You are a loser, failure. You should be ashamed always, all the time. If your shame, if you feel shame as a result of someone else's shameful actions inflicted upon you, what the devil will then accuse you of and the lie he will tempt you to believe is, you must have deserved this. You must have done something to cause this. And when we experience toxic shame, it can lead to a certain number of behaviors. It can make us vulnerable to perfectionism. And it makes us become harsh and overly critical with ourselves, and it can make us people pleasers too, which makes us even more harsh and critical with ourselves. We become, when we're in a toxic shame cycle, we become our, wor- our own worst abusers. And we become our worst critic and our own worst abuser, and we blame ourselves for everything that goes wrong in our lives and in anybody around us' lives. That is a toxic shame behavior. Another thing when we experience toxic shame is we can become harsh toward others. Ashamed people shame people. Um, just kind of a, a, just a pastoral word to parents, and I, see that I say this as a parent and someone who sees this temptation in my own life. Um, it is imperative if you're a parent to deal with your shame and your insecurities or you will pass it on to your children. Um, I used to be a pastor to college students, and I, just counseling college students, I saw that so much of the shame that college students carried with them was passed on to them from their parents. So you would see people with eating disorders or uh, uh, body image issues, and, they would, and you would talk with them, and you would realize that it was traced back to a parent who was ashamed of their own weight or their own appearance, And they would always be talking about food, always be talking about exercise, always be talking about their bodies. And their children internalized that, carried it with them, and they carried this shame with them that it wasn't their parents weren't being mean or anything. They just, their parents didn't deal with their own insecurities and they passed them on to their kids and their kids carried this heavy weight of shame. And then you have parents who are insecure or ashamed in their own achievements in life. And so they put these huge, heavy, lofty expectations on their kids with academics, with sports, with uh, career, with all these sorts of things. And these children just felt crushed by it and they never felt worthy. Parents, deal with your shame before you pass it on to your children. And that goes to all of us. Deal with our shame before we pass it on to others. Another toxic shame behavior is when we experience toxic shame, we hide from God and we hide from others. How many of you, I know I'm not the only one, but you've got the thing you said you would never do again, um, and then you do it, and you like surprise yourself. You're like, I can't believe I did the thing that I said I was never going to do again. And how many of you in that moment have known, I should pray. Uh, I should open the scriptures. I should call my growth group. I should go to church. But there is a part of you, the shame in you says, who am I? How dare I think I could pray? I can't pray at a time like this. I feel so ashamed. How many of you ever felt that? You, you want to hide. When you do, and, the, and you actually run from the very thing you need most, which is the presence of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God. You run from it when, what you need mo- when it's what you need most because you're ashamed. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They covered themselves. Another behavior is when we experience toxic shame, we define ourselves by our worst mistakes or our worst experiences. And this is the ultimate lie that we believe, and it is from the enemy. So you, maybe you have some big mistakes in your life. 
And what the enemy wants to do in your life is for you to say, I am my worst mistake. And, I mean, to carry around the scarlet letter, so to speak, for the rest of your life. So you say, I did this broken thing, therefore I am broken forever and always. I made this mistake. I am a mistake. No one could ever love me. God could never accept me. And it puts us on a cycle where we condemn ourselves, we abuse ourselves, and we try to prove our worth always to cover our shame, and we never feel like we've done enough. This is the cycle of shame, and it's a toxic thing, and this is not what God wants you to do when you experience shame. He wants you to run to him, not away from him. And so how do we deal with our shame? How do we heal from our shame? How do we deal with how we feel when what we feel is shame? We look to the healer of our shame. You know, the first mention in the Bible, the first mention of shame in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And the man and his wife, referring to Adam and Eve, were in the garden, they were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And Genesis 2 is a description of what shalom, what paradise, what God's original design for creation was supposed to look like. And this is a description of what perfect peace is like. We're before God, completely vulnerable, and unashamed. This is the picture of perfect peace. Standing before God, unashamed, nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of, perfect peace in relationship with God. And perfect peace is only possible when we are completely free of shame. But in the very next chapter, however, the man and his wife, they disobeyed God, they commit a shameful act, and Genesis 3 verse 7, like the very next page, says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, they knew they were vulnerable, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They were no longer naked and, ashamed, uh, naked and unashamed. They realized their nakedness and they covered themselves. That's what shame does. We feel our vulnerability and then we cover up and hide. And God sees this happening to his people and he sees the shame that, these, that, that humanity is feeling and he loves, these, he loves us. And so he sees the separation that, caused, that, that is now caused by these shameful acts between Adam and Eve, between him and them. I think of the separation I felt after I, I, I bullied my friend and, I, and it felt like we lived a million miles away even though he was right next door. My shame separated me from my friend. In the same way, our shame separates us from a holy God. God sees this separation and he says, I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to walk across the lawn and I'm going to make the reconciliation happen. And God knows that that separation can only be removed through forgiveness. And so he sets out on a rescue plan to deliver his people from shame and bring us back to a place where we can stand before God unashamed. And as the Old Testament progresses, we see more sin, more shame, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, all of them, shame, shame, shame. And you're going, how is God going to reconcile this when the shame keeps piling up? But David, as shameful of a man as he was at many times in his life, he clung to the promise that God was going to lift our shame. The promise that God will remove our shame. If we wait on him, David said, verse three, he said, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. He said, I'm gonna wait on God to fulfill his promise. He said, I'm gonna remember his mercy. Verse six, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from the days of old. You said that you were going to show mercy to shameful sinners. I'm waiting on it, God. And David says, we obey and we walk in the paths that God has set us on. Uh, he will lift our shame. Verse 4, he says, God, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths so I can walk on them. 
And then finally, David remembered that our salvation was in God. Our salvation from shame was in God. And so he said, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. David said, I'm not going to take refuge in my shame. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by my shame, but I'm going to take refuge in God who has promised that he will lift shame. And he, David didn't know how that was going to work. David didn't know the details of that, but David hung on to the promise of that. And he believed in that promise, and that promise leads us to Jesus. Centuries later, God's plan to lift our shame came through Jesus, who lived a perfect life, free from anything to be ashamed of. And he stands, Jesus stood before his Father with no shame, nothing to hide, but, rather, but, in, but in our place, he takes our shame. A shameless, a, a man with no shame takes on our shame, clothes himself in our shame, and dies a shameful death on a cross for our sin. Hebrews 12, verse, one, uh, verse 2, says that we are to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame that separated us from him. And he endured the shame of the cross. The cross was the most shameful death for the most shameful criminals. Jesus said, I will become shame even though there is nothing in me to be ashamed of. But I will put on the shame of humanity and I will have it nailed to the cross with me. And it will go into the tomb with me. But when I get out, I'll leave the shame in the tomb and I'll step out in purity and I will lift the shame of all those who believe in me. And so here is how you deal with your shame. Healing from shame is to take the focus off of what you are not and to put your eyes on what Christ is. David said, I will look to you. I will set my eyes on you. And here's the reality. As long as you are focused on your mistakes, you will always be vulnerable to shame. Because you will never measure up, you will never be enough. But when you look to who Jesus is, you will see that your shame did not repulse him. But rather, he took it on himself. He walked across the yard. He put on your shame, nailed it to the cross so that your shame could, could stay there. And that you could stand before God once more, vulnerable and unashamed. And David in Psalm 25, he fixed his eyes on this promise. He didn't know, uh, David didn't know Jesus' name, didn't know what Jesus was going to look like. But he held on to the promise. But we don't merely look to a promise, we look to the one who fulfilled, our promise, fulfilled that promise. Romans 10.11 says, the scriptures say, everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. That is the gospel. Healing from shame is possible when we set our eyes on Jesus. When Congressman Dan Crenshaw heard about the depression and the shame, this is a callback if you're here for the introduction. When Congressman Dan Crenshaw heard about the depression and the shame that Pete Davidson was experiencing after his tasteless joke, um, instead of laying down the scorn and joining in with the mob, you would expect Crenshaw to, to jump in and, and, and take offense. But instead of joining the mob, Dan Crenshaw reached out to Pete Davidson, befriended him, and offered advice to him. And then Pete Davidson actually said in an interview, he said, Dan Crenshaw calls me up 
and tells me, God put you here for a reason. It's your job to find that person, purpose, and you should live that way. Crenshaw even joined Pete Davidson on SNL the following season and kind of made a joke about the situation and helped put the controversy to rest. You see, Pete Davidson was living under the weight of incredible shame. But then the very man who was the object of his tasteless, shameful joke stepped in and said, look, I'm the one who could take greatest offense to your mistake, but I'm not going to hold it against you. In fact, I'm going to step in and I'm going to help you put this controversy to rest. And that's a heartwarming story, but it is a shadow of the beauty of the gospel. The God who created us and loved us, the God whom we have disobeyed and rebelled against, the God whom we have separated ourselves from him through our own actions, through our own failures, through our own mistakes, the very one who feels the greatest grief and offense from every sin we commit, He doesn't sit there and heap more shame on us like the world does, but rather he steps into our story and he removes the shame himself. He cleanses us from it and he says to us, go and sin no more, walk on this new path. That's the gospel of Jesus. Shame does not have to have the last word over your life because Jesus gets the last word and he has defeated sin and shame. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray for you, Crossroads. God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel that says even the most shameful um, acts of our lives are not beyond your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. God, you used Peter to be the first pastor of the church, the early church, and he denied you, but you restored him. God, you restore so many of us. So many of us have stories where we can say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. God, that is your mercy. You are the lifter of shame. And while the enemy and while our, the people around us and even our own hearts can accuse us and say, shame on you, shame on you. God, your word says shame off of us because of the cross of Christ. And so God, we surrender our shame to you today. Would you lift it from us? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.